Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to God's Planning. I'm Father Joseph Anthony Cress. Uh, it's a joy to have you with us today, and I am joined by the illustrious, wonderful, uh, gregarious Father mm. Gregory Pine. Wow, that was those are three adjectives that have never been uh, attributed to me before. So I'm, yeah. I'm delighted to receive those accolades, but I don't know whether or not I merit them. Not going to lie. I have no idea why I went with those. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's been a long, long day and it's uh, in the evening. So I just wanted to, I don't know, be an idiot about it. But it thanks, for, right. yeah, thanks for joining. Um, got a topic today that we, uh, I think it's important to all of us, especially as uh, Dominicans, but for uh for the Christians who are just striving to live a life of perfection and a life, uh, an upright, virtuous life, uh, we want to talk about the virtue of prudence today. Um, mm. I've had a, as a college chaplain working with students, a lot of students will step to me and be like, "All right, well, what do I do here? Or what's what's the most uh, prudent thing to do in these situations?" So, kind of helping our listeners understand what prudence is and and how it fits into our Christian life, um, I think can be very helpful. So I want to kick it to you and say, what is it? I think mm. there's a lot of confusion, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, for me, I think one of the very first things that people think of when they hear prudence or he's a prudent man is that they're cautious. Mm. So is, is, that, is that what prudence is, just being super cautious, living in a bubble? Yeah, I think, yeah, a lot of people have this notion that the prudent one is the one who is like shrewd in business dealings. Mm -hmm. The one who counsels a course that is fiscally responsible and doesn't entail much risk. Um, but I think it was C.S. Lewis who observed, he said, you know, like name a Christian virtue and you can be assured that within a generation or two, it will come to mean the opposite of what it originally did. And, and you find that with, yeah. um, with quite a few virtues. I mean, you need only think of like charity, for instance. So charity is this big, beautiful virtue, oh, yeah. but, um, but a lot of people balk at the thought of receiving charity to be made a charity case. We think of charity as a kind of condescension when in fact, it's a kind of raising others up. Um, well, to we think God's of charity as like a weakness, right? Yeah. 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 Yep. And, and really it's this beautiful strength. Like you said, to raise others up, like that takes strength. To exactly. Do. Yeah. 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 And then really like you think about temperance, mm -hmm. right? So in our minds, we think of the temperance movement where we consider those persons temperate who don't, you know, smoke, don't drink, don't get involved in anything delightful. Um, but that's actually a failure or that can be a failure. You know, sometimes it's good to give things up entirely for reasons of, you know, discipline, for reasons of asceticism or mortification. But like the point of being temperate is to interact well with sense goods. It's to be like appropriately moved by them. Mm -hmm. And somebody who doesn't see a beautiful thing or a delicious thing as beautiful or delicious isn't virtuous, they're actually insensate. You know, they've like, they've failed in, a, in an aspect of their humanity. So I bring these up because prudence, I think, is some, you know, it suffered a similar fate. We associate it with caution. We associate it with pumping the brakes. Yeah. But truth be told, prudence is about doing, you know, prudence is about agency. Prudence is the kind of hallmark of moral maturity of the person who has a sense for, a feel for what is right and what is good and is able to actually do the good thing. Yeah, there's, there's this um, understanding that uh, prudence is, 
you know, an intellectual, but also a, a moral virtue at the same time. It kind of blends over on both sides because it perfects the mind, but it perfects the mind in such a way that it's in relation to action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so the prudent man isn't the one who um, is the passive one. No. Right. The prudent man is is drawn to action because he has this perfection in the mind um, that pushes him towards an action. Yeah. So like you referenced intellectual virtues, you referenced moral virtues. Um, we can add in there theological virtues. So there are different ways in which the human heart is perfected by virtue. So virtues are like strengths. Virtues, um, they they kind of get into every nook and cranny of our interior life and they stabilize it, they determine it, they discipline it such that we can be more perfectly fixed on the good and choose that good in such a way that it becomes easy. It becomes prompt. It becomes joyful for us to do so. And the intellectual virtues perfect the mind and the moral virtues perfect the appetites. So when we think about the moral virtues, we're talking about temperance, about fortitude, about justice. And prudence is this kind of integrative virtue because, um, it presumes almost the presence of those moral virtues. So in order to see well, right, you have to have your appetites in good order. What do I mean by that? I mean, you're not going to be able to make a prudent decision if your interior life is all kinds of turmoil, right? So if you um, are just, okay, so like there are certain foods, foods in the world that it's really difficult to stop eating. For me, Chex Muddy Buddies is one of them. Chocolate chip, like a cookie dough is another one of them. It's the type of thing, like when you start eating it, you don't stop eating it. You just wake up uh, afterwards, like having blacked out, just completely covered in powdered sugar. Can of um, Pringles. I can crush an entire <laughs> can of Pringles in one sitting, like without, without any fight. Exactly, yeah. So um, the problem is, though, if you have uh, a vicious disposition with respect to this, this good, it's good of the appetite, whether it be checks, muddy buddies or Pringles, then it's going to be hard for you to be prudent when it comes to matters that concern Pringles. Okay. So if you're like, you know, you're driving on 95 between here and, you know, Newtown, Pennsylvania, and you have to stop halfway, you know, right when you get into Delaware at that sweet little rest stop that's in the middle of the highway and you bop in there and you turn right to the little quick stop. And like, you see somebody that who's, who's like talking with the cashier is like, please, you know, like I only... I only am seven cents short, you know, like just if, please just let me have this so I can feed my family. And you meanwhile have like $2 and 94 cents. And you know, that's the exact same price as a sleeve of Pringles. And you see this person who's like trying to feed their family, but you know that you're here for the Pringles, like where the Pringles at, because you have this inordinate attachment to Pringles, right? You're going to find it very difficult to be just with this other person who is in a, in a situation of dire need. So because your appetites are all stirred up, all crazed, it's hard for you to think well. So prudence, it, it, it presumes that you're temperate, that you're courageous, that you're just, because as the man is, so he sees. So those things clarify your vision and they help you to sort out among the different means whereby, um, like to make good, healthy, happy, holy choices. So yeah, this, this idea about it's, it's kind of, it's an intellectual virtue, but it has a hold in the moral virtues and it has a way of making the human person um, put together, you know, it has a way of unifying or integrating the interior life of the human person. So it's, yeah, it's not just caution, you know, it's not just being shrewd rather. It's this really beautiful thing that it starts in taking counsel, right. And considering different options, it issues and judgments about reality, but ultimately it is crowned in command in the doing of the thing. So we consider that person prudence who isn't merely good at like thinking about all the different options, but who is able to put the best option into effect 
and to abide by it, right? To actually see it through, to carry it out, and to have the moral resolve to abide by the consequences. So yeah, it's, it's something along those lines. Now, I think for, um, for a lot of people, they, they can see that and say like, okay, that's something I want to grow in. You know, I might, I might not have all the parts together, but like, what are some of those parts that they need to kind of like start to refine mm -hmm. so that they can kind of grow in prudence um, step by step? Sure. So I think, I mean, we can take this question from um, a couple of different vantages. Maybe, maybe we can take up two considerations. Um, first, I would say is just a, an overarching point, which is to say like growing in prudence is an uncertain thing. And we have to be reconciled to the fact that it's, that it's an uncertain thing because I think a lot of people Dude. in moral decision-making, they just want to skip to the answer key. You, you, I mean, like we both went to Steubenville. Yeah. You yeah. would often hear people say like, I'll do whatever the Lord wants. I just you know, want him to tell me what it is. Here's the thing, like part of being a healthy, happy, mature human being is abiding in that uncertainty and making the best choices that you know how to make. And you're like, but how do I, but that's just the deal. You know, Dude, there, I've, I've dealt with so many guys um, who are like, I don't know, like, I, I want to ask her out. I'm really, uh, you know, I'm, I'm attracted to her. I'm like, well, you know, do you think she's attracted to you? And they're like, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll talk to her friends. I'm like, no, you, you just ask her. <laughs> like, that's how you find out. Yeah, buddy. And there, there's this like paralysis that until I know the end result mm -hmm. and that end result is a guaranteed for what I want. I'm not going to set out on that journey yeah. because that journey is way too uncertain for me. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah. And I think that there's a lot of paralysis to be in uncertainty um, and, and to pursue that in any sense. Yeah. And that's what like prudence is, is built upon that beginning in the uncertainty and it yeah. kind of it, the fear of that. Yeah. Christian life is not about getting the answer right now. You know, because because you can have those answer those right answers served up to you by a wise person, but that does not mean that you will interiorize them, nor that those right answers will actually shape you to become, uh, you know, like a better human being. Rather, like Christian, like like God made us to be this type of creature, and this type of creature comes to its perfection by making choices, some good, some bad, mm -hmm. and then abiding by the terms of those choices, and then sorting out his or her experience, and then doing it again and again. And again, if there's one way by which to best describe human life, it's like lather, rinse, repeat. Um, now, mind you, we, we try to do it in such a way that, you know, the proportions are better and, um, you know, the, the product is more excellent to extend our shampoo analogy. Um, you don't want to just continue to like wallow in the infernal pits of suave, you know, because that stuff makes my scalp itchy. Um, right. So you want to like mount to the higher and higher goods. But like, I think, I think some of us have it in our minds. Sorry, there's like a whole brigade of emergency vehicles just like careening past my window. Right <laughs> oh now. my gosh. <laughs> it's actually louder than anything I've heard today. Yeah. It's quite impressive. Great timing. Um, okay. So uh, yeah. So, so prudence isn't about just like getting the right answer. And I think there's a lot of confusion about this, especially because in recent times, there's been a lot more emphasis placed on conscience than there has been placed upon prudence. Right. Yep. So like conscience is, is a matter of sifting your moral knowledge, but conscience is not necessarily about doing. Conscience is about knowing, but prudence is about doing, right? So prudence is perfected 
in action. And when one acts, then you have this kind of subsequent recognition that this was good, this was bad, this was done well, this could be done better. You, you are engaged in conversation with your friends about your life and theirs. Um, you're engaged in prayer and recollection, in liturgy, in like communal yeah. meals, in play, in sport. You're, you're like enmeshed in all of these different families and intermediate institutions and the state and the church and et cetera. And you see your life played out before you. And you're able to recognize better that it is going well or that it's going poorly and you adjust accordingly. Like that's what prudence is about. So again, there's going to be uncertainty because the type of certainty that one can gain in moral matters isn't like the type of certainty that one can gain in mathematics. You not only do you know that two plus two is four, but you actually see it. But with moral matters, it's very difficult to see because there's all of these changing circumstances. There's all of this matter. There's all of this contingency. And sometimes it's just a matter of doing our best. And that's not to say we despair of perfection, but it is to say that like, you're never, you're never going to be perfectly certain. The saint isn't the one who is perfectly certain. The saint is the one who says, this seems right. I will do it. Please God perfect in it. What is lacking and help me to be, you know, like yet more zealous in the next attempt. Um, yeah. I, I think, that, I mean, that image of the saint kind of just being uncertain is an image that people don't want to talk about. It, it seems way too human. Right. We, we want to, we want these saints to be people that are unflappable that just like had this resolve that they knew all the right answers and they stepped out into the breach and had, had to tell everybody the way it was. But the reality is there's an uncertainty there mm. and they, they have a certain resolve, right. And they're, they're inspired by the Holy spirit and the, the gifts of the Holy spirit. But there, there is that under, understanding that these saints, you know, had uncertainties and they did the best that they could. Mm-hmm. You know, they were informed by their faith and, and things like that. And as you, you talked about that connection between uh, conscience and, and prudence, right? Mm-hmm. And, and how, how does that, like, because a, con- a person's conscience can be well-formed or malformed, mm-hmm. right? But, like, that's going to affect how they, they view um, and they perceive things, especially moral actions, that they then put into action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's, a, that's an integral part of then how this person, it moves towards action. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so, so what is it that one acts upon? Well, you can think about the different states of the mind. Okay. So if you, if you doubt something, you are posed in between two options and you do not incline towards one or the other. They both seem equally possible. And so you're paralyzed. In that instance, it's better to take the safer course, right? Mm-hmm. Lest one err. And then there's, there's this kind of like other sense, what we would call suspicion or opinion, where you're inclined to one side, but with a mild fear that the other side might be true. But given what you know, given the lights uh, by which your mind is inspired, this seems to you the best course. And that is enough, right? You can move on that. Yeah. You can act yeah. on that. And mind you, the presumption is that you are informing your conscience with scripture, with tradition, with the church's magisterial teaching, with the advice of wise friends, with, you know, counsel of a spiritual director, or confessor, etc. So you're not just like setting out based on what you dreamt of uh, in your kind of like most recent uh, free thinking session, right? But you're seeking to be informed by reality and to have your mind shaped perfectly to reality. Yeah. And then, And then the last thing that we would talk about would be like, knowledge, which is where, you know, all men are mortal. Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. It's a kind of teasing out from the premises, a conclusion that's there and a seeing of it. Faith is another thing because faith is a knowledge that comes by testimony or by witness. But when we're talking about the practical order, we're usually moving on an opinion. We're, we're inclined towards one thing, but we're not entirely sure. 
that the other thing is, is without merits. But the way that we come to discover whether or not it is, is by doing it. Yeah. Right. So I'm not usually one who counsels like the best way to discern a religious vocation is by entering, because I think sometimes people will enter precipitously and it ends up being a time from which they have to recover. But I do think that um, the Lord does not will for you analysis paralysis, okay? That's, that's still to say that, that oftentimes the Christian vocation is one of active receptivity. So like the Lord initiates by his call, by his grace, by his healing and elevation. Um, but it's something to which we are called to respond. And sometimes when we respond, we will discover that this thing is not for me. But we might also discover that this thing may be for me, but I need to step up and step into it. Um, but it's only really in doing that one gains a greater and greater certainty about the thing because that's how it works in moral matters. That's how it works in the practical sphere. And so with respect to a conscience, you operate by your conscience because your conscience is how you interiorize the law of God and the natural law. That's like kind of how it speaks to you, the aboriginal witness, right? Of the law of God. Um, and that's what we have to work on. And so we're bound by our conscience. We can only really choose according to what we know and love and how our lives are shaped, but we still have the duty to inform our conscience that it be, yet more and more perfectly attuned to God's saving designs so that we're not trapped in this whole like interior conundrum, which means ultimately like I just follow it. I don't form it and who cares? It's just blah, blah, blah. So yeah, something, something along those lines. Yeah. I think um, my conscience is telling me that right now we're going to have to move to action and take a break mm. from this, but we're going to come back and pick up, uh, from that and start to kind of apply this understanding, this this deeper understanding of prudence to what we're experiencing right now, um, especially pandemic-wise and things like that. So take, stick with us. Um, we're going to take a quick break right now. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. Welcome back to God's Planning. Um, joined by Father Gregory Pine. I'm Father Joseph Anthony, and we're talking about prudence and this understanding of how prudence moves us to an action. Right? It, it's not just paralyzing. It's not static. It's it's very fluid. Moves us towards an action, towards a good, towards freedom, um, and all of that. So, after that understanding. What do we do now uh, where we're getting a lot of our kind of freedom restricted through quarantines and pandemics and social distancing and like a lot of a lot of these kind of decisions of what is going to be the best or or most prudent decision in living in a, in a social way is being forced upon us. Mm -hmm. So so how do we reconcile some of that with um, prudence. Yeah. Yeah. I like, um, so I think it's, it's good to focus it in terms of the word freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, we had an episode on freedom just a few weeks back and oftentimes when modern people think about freedom, they think about it as having a variety of options. When you are quarantined and social distancing, you think of yourself as having fewer options. You know, you can't like dine out many can't go to church, etc. So how can I be free? Well, we talked about freedom in terms of it's a power for choosing the good and for abiding in the good, right? So it's a matter of fixity in the good so that we are not distracted by or thrown for a loop by uh, the variety of sinful or less excellent options on offer. And so the question here is like, how in present circumstances can I be fixed in the good? And I think that like, 
So in a lot of these conversations, people want to talk about the present situation as if it were unlike anything else. And mind you, it is, it's, it's big, right? It's big. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's probably the biggest thing that's happened in a lot of our lifetimes. Um, you know, people point back to the Spanish flu, people point back to the bubonic plague, like the last significant rash of which I guess would have been in the 16th century. Um, and people, people liken it to these circumstances and there are, you know, parallels to be established, but for us, it's, it's pretty catastrophic. Right. It's, it's pretty catastrophic. And I think the tendency is to think that this is just different in kind, right? So what we're dealing with now is a whole new realm of moral agency. And as a result of which I feel completely adrift. And I think that, you know, in our conversation, I want to move more towards an understanding that this is not different in kind, but it's different in degree. Okay. So like the stakes are higher, but it's something that we've encountered before. Okay. So, um, I want to read this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's like a minute and 20 seconds long, I imagine, but yeah, it's beautiful. I won't, I won't time you at all. Don't oh, worry. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's good. Um, so this is him writing about uh, the fear of the citizenry during an atomic age. He says, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation, Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. Now, the tone of that is, is pretty swaggering. Well, and here's the C.S. Lewis. Yeah, for sure. Just, what a sobering, but like, he's spot on about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's nothing else that you can say it's just like that line where he says here's like let it find us doing sensible and human things yeah 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 i think like a lot of us are we're just very concerned for people whom we love right our grandparents um our family members who are immunocompromised those who are especially vulnerable um but uh we've i think we've kind of tended towards a point where we've let that paralyze us and now mind you i'm not i'm not like uh, going in for wild eccentricities and like crazed imprudences. But I think that like we're, we're starting after, after three months at this point, we're starting to like move back towards human life. And I think many people feel guilty about that. Um, but I don't think we ought to feel guilty, 
right? We take ne the necessary precautions. We don't conduct ourselves uh, in a careless manner, right? But, but if it comes for us, when it finds us, it will, it will find us doing sensible things. It will find us doing human things. Um, you know, and there's like a lot of, there's a lot of conversation that spins around this. Like, you know, it's, it's a thing that's worth, I don't know. I, th I think just like a lot of people are afraid of killing. They're, they're yeah. afraid of killing, but, but that's the point is that what we are doing is living a human life. And, and if bad things result from that, that that's always been true of human life. It's always been true of human life. But what we are responsible for is perfecting our agency is seeking first the kingdom is loving those with whom we are thrown in together. Um, not, not like treating other people as potential sources of contagion or treating other people as if they were out to get us or being irresponsible or worthy of shame on account of the fact that their mask is not as comprehensive as mine, blah, 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 who cares? But like, this is, this is like, this is the point of prudence. The prudence is to live life well, not to cease living life or to leave off living life. I just talked for a long time. I'm sorry. No, it, I, I let you roll with that because I think it's so important to just, just have that um, deep encouragement because there is that guilt that's associated with going back out into public now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, um, I, I'll admit, I ran out to um, the grocery store the other day and I had, to, I had to pick up something for the house and I just got in the car and ran and totally forgot about a face mask. It just, just slipped my mind because I haven't really been going out in public much at all. I go between our priory and the church and that's pretty much it. And I keep a face mask in the sacristy, like, so just didn't slip my mind. And I felt so guilty mm. for, for the possibility of, you know, anything in that realm. And I know that uh, a number of other friends and parishioners and students that I talked to is like, they're asking that question, hey, is it okay, like, to, to do fun things? Like, is it okay to, to go to this, you know, social spot? Is it okay to, like, hang out, you know, with friends in, in, a, in an apartment now? You know, there, there's that kind of question, like, this guilt that is associated with that. And it's like, after three months, we can get back into being prudent. Now, like you said, there are certain times in, in situations where maybe it's not prudent to go out. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if we're, you know, taking care of somebody who is elderly, who's very immunocompromised, and we shouldn't be the ones going out, you know, for the, for those who are at a high risk, you know, 70, 80, 90, like we have to, we do have to take care of them. And, and, you know, the pain of not going back to Sunday mass is a real pain and to mm -hmm. help support them and caution that, but um, to not be afraid to, to live life. Yeah. Uh, is, is, is an important thing, but it's, it's that prudence of, um, you know, and I think this is a, an interesting time that it may have, and, and I, I don't know what you think on this, but it may have re kind of recalibrated a lot for people that people who didn't think too much about their impact on somebody else's life, um, or how they have formed their life, how they've seen reality that then corresponds to how they act. Mm -hmm. Um, this has kind of hit the reset button for some of them to then take the time to start thinking about those things and then the corresponding actions that, uh, go with that. Yeah. And I think that like, uh, like ultimately it, it forces us to think about the hierarchy of goods in our life, 
And it's not to say that we make kind of crass comparisons between essential and non-essential things or between spiritual and temporal goods or between whatever, you know, we don't, we're not just going to make those comparisons so as to run roughshod over what are in fact subtle and nuanced arguments. Um, But like, for instance, I know like a woman from, from back home who has cancer and she was going to daily mass up until the day that masses were canceled and then masses were brought back. And then she was at mass again, the day that they were brought back. She doesn't want, she's not reckless. She doesn't want to die. Right. But there are certain things that she loves more than life. Uh, You know, so she loves her Lord more than life. She loves her family more than life. And she's going to hold her life in her hands. But there are certain goods which transcend that in which she will situate her life. And that's awesome. Like that's very and, and, you know, like taking every precaution, being very sane about it, not at all like swashbuckling or, you know, crazed. But just 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 doing it beautifully and doing it well without any real like boast or blah blah blah. You get it. Dot dot dot. So so like for us to be prudent, it means you know Saint Thomas talks about all these different parts of prudence, like memory. You consult your experience. You know you have your experience sifted mm-hmm. by time and by space. Docility. You know you take counsel from elders, and that may be the CDC, that might may be the WHO, that might be those who are older and wiser and who have suffered. Right. Um, you have to consult like kind of first principles. Like how does this accord um, with basically how I've conducted myself in other circumstances. You have to be shrewd, you know, like you have to make judgments on the kind of on the fly. You have to be reasonable, you know, kind of go through the steps. You have to exercise foresight. You have to be cautious. You have to be circumspect. There are all of these different, you know, kind of dimensions of a prudent act, but ultimately it means being engaged richly with the good being shaped by that good. And then recalibrating as you come to discover that you have done things perhaps rashly or perhaps cowardly. You have done things intemperately or insensately. You have done things unjustly or perhaps, you know, whatever, dot, dot, dot. But it's a matter of being on the way and being content to be on the way, okay? Being content to be on the way and not at the end because we're not angels. We're men and women. And to be a man or to be a woman is to be decidedly on the way. But that is how the Lord is blessing us, right? Through our agency, you know, which is grace and which has the the real hope of conducting us to our heavenly homeland. So, and that's that's such an important point is to constantly be active in in making those prudent decisions, you know. And I, I think there's that we want the one size fits all thing, and it's like no, this is going to be this is always the prudent action. And and for many uh, of us, and we know what goes into the elements of a moral act, like things change, and you know, like you said, our memory we have to consult the memory of past actions and, and the results of those actions and, and kind of gauge all of that. But there, there is that opportunity to continually grow in prudence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, um, that's important for us to know is that the growth of prudence is, is constantly active in us and we're constantly, you know, going through this pro- process and it's never this achievement. Then finally, Oh, you know what? I've, I've gone through the steps I've gone, uh, you know, I worked step 10 and I hit a step 11. I've accomplished prudence. Now every action from here on out is prudent. Yeah, it, yeah, that's yeah. just not a reality because we're constantly on the way and things change. Circumstances change and, and everything else. Like it, it's, it's this reality that it's, we're constantly active in that, which is, which is important. Um, yeah. Boom. And <laughs> preach. Preach. All right. We got like, I don't know, three, four minutes left. And I want to just throw a quick hitter at you and, you know, hit me with the goods. Um, Sins against prudence. Mm. Um, I don't want to say pick your favorite, but Mm. I think like 
talk to me about a sin against prudence. And, I, I love it. Yeah. Quick hitters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. St. Thomas talks about a variety, but I think it's helpful to think about it in terms of the steps of prudence, right? You take counsel, you make judgments, and then you put them into action. Sometimes you fail to take counsel. We call that precipitousness or rashness. Like you just go, right? Without mm. ever really thinking about it. No bueno, right? That's you the, send that's, it. That's yeah, exactly the full send generation is good. Go. At this. this is, this is the sin of 16 year old boys. Um, <laughs> and then there's what you would call thoughtlessness or inconsideration. That's when you just fail to take account of what you ought to take account when you make a judgment, right? So it's like, I once offended a friend of mine and I tried to pardon myself or to excuse myself by saying, I'm sorry, I just, I forgot, you know, it's like, I, for, I forgot to take that into account when I made this choice. And this individual said like, that's just the thing you forgot. You know, and to have forgotten that thing is to have forgotten me. And as a result of which, it wounds all the more. It doesn't excuse oh, you. Oh, that's, that's a deep cut right there. That's yeah, just yeah. the thing. Yeah, forgot. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I take that seriously. I'm not, I'm not no, saying I know. in a ridiculous manner. I, I, and I was very chastened by that rebuke because it's true. I ought to have thought of that. And then, and then at the end, you know, making a judgment, you know, like commanding, actually doing the thing. There we can suffer from inconstancy. Mm. You know, we're always making decisions and making judgment, but never putting them into action or never sticking with them, right? It, you don't know if it's the right choice until such time as you permit it to run its course. If, if like, you know, you want to plan a program for your parish and you're just terrified at the fact that some people might not show up, it might be unsuccessful. And so you, you cancel it the night of. It's like that, that, that wasn't a real choice. You know, that was just a failure in choice. You don't know if it will have failed until such time as you see it through. Like one of my first summer assignments, I planned this thing called scripture and sports. One kid came, we just sent him home. Um, and then, and I just made it the open gym next week. And then like 15 kids came. I was like, okay, no scripture. You know? Well, like sneak Jesus in in more insidious ways. Like when a six foot three habit wearing dude dunks over top of you, then you will know that the Lord is merciful, but I'm not. Um, so I'd say, yeah, just think about it in terms of stages. We can fail to take counsel you know, that's precipitousness or rashness. We can fail to make adequate judgments or to take account of what we need to take account. That's like inconsideration or thoughtlessness. And then we can fail to, to, to you know, like bring it off. And that's um, inconstancy. Other, there are other sins, blah, blah, blah. But those are all like ways in which prudence can fail. So for us, what is important kind of as a spiritual discipline is, is to take the necessary counsel, to account for what we need to count, and then to carry it through. Because it may not be the best thing, but don't let the, you know, like, don't let the good, excuse me, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Because we're on the way, and we're going to get there until such time as we are there. The Lord will be, will be merciful and patient, and we have to be content to receive that. And, I mean, prudence is acquired, right? Like, we, we got to, you know, step into that breach and, and try and, and to acquire and repeat, you know. Uh, wash rather lens. Gosh, wash rather lens. <laughs> Did you just hear me? I heard that. Yeah, <laughs> you knew what I was saying. Yeah, I'm with you. Is. I'm with you all. The way. Also, I appreciate that you went so biblical on me on there because I asked for one thing and you gave me three. Mm, one thing yeah, do I know? Anyway. Only three will I say. Here's two. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I appreciate it. So uh, we'll wrap it there. Uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of God Splaining. Uh, enjoy and God bless you. Thanks for listening to God's Planet, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.